Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Future of Media Explained, where this week we're talking about why publishers should court Microsoft and Amazon. So you're here with me, Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tabit and Press Gazette editor-in-chief Dominic Ponsford. Hi, Dom. Hi, Charlotte. So this week's conversation touched on a lot of the big themes that we've been covering on Press Gazette so far in 2024. Do you just want to quickly summarise for us what those are? Well, uh, this one touches on the overall problem, which is how we fund quality content in the digital age. Uh, We focus in a bit more closely on advertising, so what I'm calling the addressability crisis. Publishers are uh, losing online ad revenue because they're not able to um, direct advertising at them. And also um, challenges to do with uh, generative AI, whether that's a threat or an opportunity. And I've spoken to a chap called Ricky Sutton, who's uh, really well-placed to have a view on this, because he he, he used to be um, a very senior online uh, executive at um, News UK and uh, Fairfax Media in Australia. Uh, For the last few years, he's been running his own tech company which is around online video for publishers and just in the last sort of six months or so he's um, launched his own sub stack called Future Media which is a bit like ours. He's a sort of kindred spirit because uh, he's, he's, he's quite salty in his uh, criticism of big tech and Google in particular and uh, he's got some very forthright views about what publishers can do when it comes to how they um, survive in a media market which is completely dominated now by uh, Google and Facebook. Well, you literally did compare Google to the empire and Star Wars in our latest newsletter, so you also can have some spicy takes. Yeah, sorry about that, Google. I think I got <laughs> I got a bit carried away, and I and I feel and I feel a bit a bit guilty there because. Um, you know, when you speak to people at Google um, personally, they're very nice. They're not um, stormtroopers by any means. I think the thing about online advertising, it gets quite um, dry, doesn't it, when you talk about cookies and addressability and stuff. So, uh, and uh, But there's no getting away from the fact that um, when it comes to that market, that online advertising market, you know, publishers used to dominate it. Now Google and Facebook dominate it. And... Um, you know, the result has been, you know, thousands and thousands of journalists losing their jobs because there's a lot, there's a lot less revenue in the industry because it's because it's elsewhere. Completely. And it's something that 
lots of people are wrestling with at the moment. So let's hear from Ricky and and your conversation. So I started off by um, just a, a bit of background about Ricky. I've now worked on both sides. I've worked at the top of media, uh, news media. I've worked at the top of technology and I've built a company, funded it and exited it, uh, an AI company. So now for me, I want to take all of that experience and offer it to companies to try and build what I think can be an incredibly valuable and sustainable future for, for technology companies, big tech and big media to work together. Okay, well, that's good to hear that you're sort of optimistic there, because I obviously re- I read your um, future media Substack, which it's um, yeah, you don't put any punches. I can tell you, you know, former tabloid journalist, you're um, you know giving it to sort of Google both barrels uh, in a sense that you're you know you're really concerned, aren't you, and bothered about the dominance of the tech companies versus. Um, versus publishers and what and what and what that all means. When did you first start getting uh, really riled about what was going on with big tech as regards um, you know the business we love which is journalism quality content? Yeah, I think I think the alarm for me started as crazy as it sounds in late 1999. So I was um, heading up digital at News Corp in London at the time. And Google came to see us. We, we were aware of Google. They were the rising search engine. They were. It was clear that they that they mattered. Uh, but they were still a very small company, um, and they wanted our permission to allow them to reference our content. And there was a meeting held, and we all discussed it, and we all agreed that that would be okay. Let's do that. Let's see how they go. And what was kind of agreed behind closed doors was that if this Google thing gets big then we'll buy it because that's what you do when you're News Corp. Um, and so my first real signal of, of you know, big tech and its potential power was way back then. But what actually transpired, of course, was that digital grew incredibly quickly through the dot-com boom through the late 90s, early, tw- early 2000s, um, 2001. But then by the end of 2001, beginning of 2002, we were heading into the dot-com crash. Um, and at this point, the view was, was that we needed to pull back on our digital ambitions and perhaps digital wasn't going to be a big deal after all. Maybe this was all just kind of a flash in the pan, was a, certainly a view that was being spread by many people in News Corp, senior people in News Corp at the time. But my worry was that that didn't seem to be impacting at all on Google. Google was going to Mars as far as I could see. When I was looking at every chart, it showed that Google was going up and to the to the right very very quickly and when we went back to news corp to push them to buy this company which was now probably valued i think from recollection at uh, a couple of billion dollars the answer was an absolute haughty no that's absolutely not going to happen dot com's a disaster and of course by the time the dot com rebounded google was out of sight for a company the size of news corp so for me it seems ridiculous that I probably worried about the power of big tech in 99. But the truth was I got a first view of just how fast it gets away from you at that point. It was like a wildfire. And so I've been really worried about it ever since. Well, what an um, interesting sort of alternative reality there where um, Rupert Murdoch might have bought Google for a couple of billion. 
And uh, mind you, they of course they probably never would have sold it, would they? Because they, they could because they had a bit of belief, didn't they, in, in where it was all going? But it's an interesting thought experiment, isn't it? Where we'd uh, where we'd be where we'd be now if uh, I think there's no way, no way regulators would have allowed Rupert to have had such a a big monopoly. But, but um, I'm sure I'm sure they would have broken it up um, long long ago if uh, if if he was running it, as opposed to the um, the tech bros who we who had the they used to have the um, Slogan, didn't they? Don't be evil. But I think that, I think they sort of quite did. They quietly stop that at some point and just start becoming evil. I don't know. They did. <laughs> they did. But look, you know, to be honest with you, the there was a different balance back then. Clearly, um, a, an ability to be able to have some kind of control over our future. But as soon as you lost control of distribution, which was effectively the risk that Google represented, um, and, and they just disappeared out of sight so quickly. Um, and so by the time digital was back in you know in in real full force in kind of the early uh, late to 2003 2004 it was just a different shape and of course in 2004 google had escaped already but in 2004 facebook launched so you know it was kind of you rolled from one um uh, crisis almost directly into another one so it all happened incredibly quickly let's set out the, the problem shall we so when i kind of get my do my sort of back of a fag packet calculation you know i reckon maybe google and facebook worth 15 billion in revenue ad revenue in the uk versus every publisher combined maybe worth 2 billion for all i know google and facebook could be a lot more than that actually but that's that's a sort of conservative estimate so i think they've got something like 40% of the whole ad market if you and if you look back to when i started out in this uh, in this game about twenty years ago, that's about the proportion that all the, that the publishers had. So they've sort of exactly replaced publishers in the ad market in what is a much bigger ad market today than it was back then. So they're sort of utterly dominant. <laughs> publishers continuing to shrink. It seems to be getting worse, not better, because the Google are switching off cookies and so taking control of those. Uh, identifiers and so you know is that is that what you're seeing globally and and how how sort of serious is the issue for for publishers as regards ad funded journalism right okay so it absolutely is what i'm seeing and it absolutely is terrible right however where i am seeing some optimism is is that it's a choice to work with google right um it's not a requirement it's a choice and so at the moment, you're quite right. Google controls the vast majority of everything, right? The number of ads that are being supplied, the programmatic platform, the pipes, uh, the data, the delivery, the measurement, like all, all of it owns the entire thing. Um, and so Google has reached a point of total dominance. However, its point of dominance is so comprehensive that it's now scared American politicians. And that's a great thing because the only thing that can stop a monopoly when it gets to that size is effectively antitrust, uh, an action where the government decides to break that company up because it's now uh, antithetical to competition in the market. Um, and so I think Google had a chance a couple of years ago to stop relentlessly growing and create a sustainable dominant business, but it couldn't resist the temptation or fell victim to shareholder pressure to just continue to uh, gouge the market to the point where it became too much for the government to be willing. And just uh, Google aren't here, so I mean, just to just to get just to sort of give the 
their point of view, I suppose they would they would see themselves as in a bit of a although dominant to us. I suppose they're in a in a battle with Microsoft, Apple, and Amazon in in a sort of similar ish market, and I suppose they probably see their position and their rivalry between those other companies as a sort of fairly sort of fragile position in a way because they you know they could easily i suppose in their mind be supplanted by one of those one of those other giants that have got a similarly sort of monopolistic control over content and platforms in their own way that, that, that's you're being very fair to them look i think that the um you know, it's not for me actually to judge whether they are an illegal monopoly or not, because a judge is going to decide that soon enough anyway. So there's a search antitrust case already underway in the US that's going to rule sometime later this year. And then today, just this morning, we've heard that there is an antitrust case against Google's advertising or targeting Google's advertising monopoly kicking off in September. Um, and they've already lost their antitrust case over the App Store. So it will be for judges to decide on what action that they want to take. You're absolutely right, though. Google has argued that, um, you know, its competitor is definitely in competition with Amazon. It talks about that. It says it's in competition with Yelp. It says it's in competition with everybody that's got a search engine. Um, but it does have 90% share of, um, you know, that was what was the number given in court. It has 90% share of global search volume. So whether it's a monopoly or not whether that's an emotive word or not it still has 90 percent of the market yeah and um taking my defending google hat off again i think you know i, I look at my phone you know i've got an amazon i've got an android phone like most people nowadays the first thing i see on my phone when i open it up is google discover so google discover which i i assume google has paid samsung a shit ton of money to to be there on my on my phone so it's got it kind of controls that position and the phone is the thing which most people everyone spends most of their time looking at it's how we consume media and every fifth article i scroll at on discover on my phone is an advert which is google has paid a lot of money to be there and so google kind of owns the newsstand now doesn't it three billion dollars they paid for that samsung deal came out in the court case Three billion, and so we can only imagine how much how much money they're making in return. So they paid three billion dollars. You know, they probably I don't know. Maybe they're making ten billion dollars globally. Who knows? But it's it's a it's it's a lot of cash, um, and it's and and it's I suppose it raises. It, it feels like a sort of one of a number of areas where there's a clear case for saying that's a monopoly that needs to be regulated. Apart from anything else, the um, the algorithm is far uh, less discriminating on Discover than it is uh, even on Google News. Like Google News is uh, legit news providers. Discover, there's some legit stuff on there. There's an awful lot of utter crap, fake news nonsense. Uh, and, you know, and that's probably how a lot of people uh, understand the world at the moment. Well, remember that, um, you know, it's not just, um, you don't just find that on uh, Samsung phones, right? So you've got the same issue with all Android phones. And you've also got the challenge that, um, you know, Google's paying billions and billions of dollars, like three times as much as they're paying Samsung to Apple to be the default search engine on Apple. So if you're using an Apple mobile or or an Android mobile, you're getting Google and that's pretty much all mobile. 
So, you know, if you've got 90% of the web searches and you've got, you know, that many of the mobile searches, you're incredibly dominant. But just to go back to your point earlier on about, you know, what, what is the real harm that this represents? Because I think as, as much as I'm railing against their dominance and trying to find, uh, to, to carve out a niche or an opportunity or a window or a way to sustain news publishing, because that's what I care about, their search engine is bloody fantastic. It does amazing things. It's made the world far more discoverable. I'm a smarter person for it, and so are my children. And so from that perspective, you have to admire them for the work that they've done. I'd be annoyed if I was suddenly forced to use Bing uh, or, or ask Jeeves. I think I, I think I would choose Google, definitely, given the choice. Right. But the problem is, is that when you become that powerful and you live in that bubble, and the question for your next earnings report is whether you're going to be up by... 24 billion or 25 billion is the question you're asking yourself in that quarter, right? The problem is it's very difficult to maintain perspective on the impact that you're having in the, on the world in general. And so we've kind of reached a point where they've become so massive, there's no more market share really for them to take. There's no more customers really that they can go to. Um, and so the question then becomes, how do you continue to maintain double digit growth? And that's when things get a bit tricky because then you have to start to impact on user experience. You have to take the money from the people that don't have much money left. And the problem is, is that for Google, and given how much content publishers generate that people want to read every day on the web, it basically puts the publishing industry right in the headlights of the Google juggernaut. And so that's why antitrust, in my view, has to happen, because it gives us an opportunity to reset and carve out enough space for the publishing industry to sustain itself. I mean, we need probably 4 billion US dollars probably to reoxygenate the industry. And that's a that's nothing for these big tech companies. And I think that finally politicians and regulators and everybody have figured out that that's actually a trade worth doing because we need a vibrant plurality of media outlets. So I guess the um one of the big challenges with all this um historically has been how do you um, come up with a way of rewarding sort of good content, you know, good quality content, quality journalism in the online space and encouraging what, what we would see as good things. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's original journalism, I would say, which um, holds power to account, serves a public interest in some way. But without also rewarding bad things so journalism so just copycat stuff and i don't want to be uh sort of snooty but there's a lot of kind of celebrity journalism which is sort of guff it's just stuff shit happening on tiktok uh let's write about it as opposed to you know good celebrity journalism which probes a bit and tells you something you didn't know it's very very hard to um, sort of find a, a some you know new way of running the, the world, which kind of you know promotes the the good stuff and not just the rubbish. I'll give you two thoughts, two models. One of them's mine, but one the other one's Google's. So I went after Google on stage in um, 2019 um, and had quite a robust discussion in a panel that really got on their um, on their radar, and they rang me. Um, and said, look, we want to find a way to be sustainable. What do you think we should do, right? 
And I said to them, I think you should take a billion dollars out of YouTube's income from all the junk. And you should take that billion dollars, you should put it into a, uh, a, a special uh, purpose advertising unit that should only be available to premium publishers. And if you want to know who the premium publishers are, sign up every publisher that's a member of one of the major industry groups. So if they're a member of WANIFRA, a member of um, INMA, a member of the ONA, uh, if it's one of them, um, then make that billion dollars available to them. And when, when they publish their stories, have those, that billion dollar only be available there and make the minimum CPM on display $20, right? If you do that, you'll put a billion dollars back into the publishing industry. Their response to that was, we love that idea, but we don't think a billion dollars is enough. How much do you think we'd need to put in to fund it all? Um, and that led to a big dinner in London where we discussed it. It then led to an offer on a piece of paper, um, but the offer didn't have a sum of money in it. It just said best, in, best endeavors. And so ultimately that deal died, but it's the right deal to do if you're Google. So Google should segment a pool of cash of advertising inventory from the vast amount that it's got and make it available just to those publishers. That's a model that could work. I suppose in UK, in UK terms, you could um, include regulated publishers in that, in that pot. Yeah, but there's no downside for Google to do that, okay? Serving higher-yielding CPMs, there are plenty of advertisers that would be happy to pay higher-yielding CPMs um, and in Google's perspective, it gets paid for selling the ad, it gets paid for delivering the ad, it gets paid for measuring the ad. There's no downside. That's one way that they could be a better corporate citizen. Um, but the other way of doing it is to go back to what we discussed back in that room at News Corp back in 1999, which was to say to Google, look, rather than just take our content and use it, you should license it from us. So each time our content is queried um, or our content is the response to someone's search query, then you should pay us a micro fee for that. So instead of having the variability of do I have an ad, don't I have an ad, is it high yielding, is it low yielding, do I have high sell through or low sell through, or I don't want to put an ad on news content because it might not be the right place for my holiday ad to go. All of those variables are antithetical to us in news industry being able to do what we do best, which is tell the news. So a better model is for Google to just pay on a response to every search query. So if somebody goes and searches for blue whale and it finds a story from, uh, you know, the sun from two years ago, and that's the story, then the sun should be paid a micro fee for that. And if somebody searches for, you know, the latest on, um, you know, today's story uh, on the king, then they should also get a micro fee for that. And then what happens is, is that the people, the journalists that are writing the best stories about the things that people care most about will ultimately get paid the most because they'll get the most responses in the query. It just kills SEO, which is a way to go and try and con the system to make sure you're at the top, which leads to bad journalism. Um, but what it does is it leads you to good journalism because if it's what people want to read, it's what people then discover. And so being paid on a per discovery basis, on a pay-as-you-go model, is far more sustainable. You just do what you do every day, but instead of being paid in advertising, you're paid in a micro fee whenever your search query is found. So if 100,000 times your story is discovered by Google in an hour, you get paid 100,000 micro payments. You get paid for when your content 
is found. You don't write it to be found. You get paid when it is found. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think about this the Google's argument, which it makes, and which Facebook has also made, probably more convincingly, that journalism is is negligible in terms of their revenue? I think they say they don't make any money from Google News, and that ninety more than ninety percent of queries are nothing to do with news. So you get so you get rid of all the journalism on Google. Uh, you know, it's not going to bother them too much. And in fact, they do the news industry, um, you know, an incredible service because they send billions of clicks uh, to, the, to the news industry every year. So w- what would you say to that? Well, a couple of things. So, of course, the web's full of junk. And so if you go and search for, you know, how much is a 1886 silver spoon worth, right? You're not expecting to find a response from the Times of London, right? So no one's expecting that to happen. I think it's a I think it's a silly response from a smart company designed to obfuscate the truth. The truth is is that every day a massive number of searches will be about the things that are happening in the world today. So, you know, with the King's cancer diagnosis in the UK, do you think anybody searched for that today? And what did they find? Right. So I just think it's a self-serving obfuscation. It makes no sense. It's just not true. And so challenge them to show it's true. Challenge them to show you the numbers. They never will. Challenge them to ask what ads are going to go where and where they're going to get the most money from the ads from. Do you think they make more money for an ad that sits on the Times than on an ad that sits on some bot-generated uh, you know, uh, article about something that somebody's peripherally interested in? They're totally different. So I think I understand why they're saying it, but it's not true. And, and even if even if what they're saying is partially true from viewed from their objective, then they should just make the numbers visible, not hide them, which they do. Go and have a look at what the top 20 searches were on Google last year. They're all news articles, right? So it just can't be right. So you said part of your role now is advising publishers. So I guess a lot of this stuff is, you know, theoretical and and, and a lot of it is from a publisher point of view, it's sort of complaining about the weather, isn't it? It's not something you can really directly control. So, what I mean, what would you your advice be to publishers who are looking at that? You know, those figures. They're looking at the online revenue going down. They're having to fire journalists as a result. Any thoughts about you know what they should be doing this year to try and flatten out that revenue curve and hopefully grow it a little bit and hopefully maybe hire a few journalists and not have to fire so many. Yeah, I got hundreds of ideas on that, Dom. Um, but look, I'll give you—I'll give you what I think um, the, the the most important and pertinent ones are. 
So the first thing is, is that the advertising market is not going down, it's going up. It always has been. So it's a myth in publishers that we believe the ad market's going backwards. It isn't. It's been growing pretty much consistently except during COVID. It's just that the money's bypassing publishers and going directly to the platforms. So that's the first thing to recognize. Um, that means that probably advertising is a really challenging space for publishers to remain in as this new, uh, as this year uh, extends. You've also, the other, sorry, I also, I don't only advise publishers, I also advise big tech companies, right? So the big tech companies are also trying to find a way to exist and continue to grow and thrive themselves in this new era that we're entering into in generative AI. So if you look at the most valuable companies that sit in that list, you've got Microsoft is now at the top, followed by Apple, followed by Amazon, followed by Alphabet, okay? And then there's a gap and then you get to, to, to Meta. Now, those are the ones that really impact on us as an industry. And so the question you need to ask yourself is what do they want? Right. What enables them to be more dominant? Now, if you're every single one of them has a problem and a need, uh, especially now in this AI era. So uh, let's start at the top. If you're Microsoft, you're in the lead on AI. And most estimates say that the AI market is going to be worth probably another one and a half trillion dollars in value. OK. And that one and a half trillion dollars has to come from market growth, which will probably be about 30% of it. But the rest of it has to come from taking it from other companies, which means that Microsoft needs to take another trillion dollars from one of those other companies I've just mentioned. And the one that's in the most trouble at the moment is Google. So Google's already lost a trillion dollars in its gap between it and Microsoft. Microsoft soared into the distance, but it's also looking pretty vulnerable. Google, it's not doing terribly well with AI. It keeps getting punished uh, by its uh, investors. Um, you know, it's uh, losing ground on um, on cloud that it keeps getting punished for. And Microsoft is picking all this up. So when you, if you play that game and you try and work out who in that, um, you know, who in the zoo is going to be the best partner for publishers, it's going to be the one with the most momentum and the one with the biggest need. And right now, Microsoft has everything to gain and Google has everything to lose. So there's an auction opportunity here. So my answer to you and what publishers should do this year is to break their thought about being reliant on advertising because that puts them in the hands of Google and Google's the one that's losing. And think about what is going to enable them to succeed with the companies that are going to grow. So here's two important stats to recognize. First thing, Microsoft owns AI and it wants another one and a half trillion dollars and it will spend money. Okay, so it's just done its first deal today. Microsoft Direct has done its first deal today with Semaphore in the US, where it's paid Semaphore for access to their content. Previously, OpenAI did a deal with Axel Springer, okay, in Germany and in America, but that was a much, much smaller deal. This is a much bigger deal. So that's the first thing to think about. The other number to think about is 27%, which is how much. Amazon grew its advertising unit last year. So Amazon's ad unit is already headed to $100 billion this year, and it's all growing faster than Meta and Google, right? It's got a faster growth than both of them. Amazon, like uh, Microsoft, has everything to gain, okay, by spending money now to grow market share. 
So I think what we're actually seeing is the era of Meta being a friend of publishers ended a couple of years ago. The era of Google being a friend of publishers is ending right now. And the new friends are the two that need publishing most. And they are Microsoft and Amazon. So you're saying you think opportunities for publishers to license uh, content to AI via Microsoft? I do. And then via Amazon, maybe... um, Doing, doing deals. I mean, um, Reach have just done a deal, haven't they? They have. Reach did a deal yesterday. So it's independent of cookies. Uh, so it's independent of anything Google does. Uh, Reach collects uh, behavior data about what its readers are reading, sharing that data with Amazon publisher services. And then Amazon is then uh, using that data and using Reach's sort of massive amount of um, inventory to then. Uh, sell um, advertising inventory to to its 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 buyers, its ad buyers. We don't know the nuts and bolts for it, but we we, we have to hope that it's um, you know a good um, increase on what um, reach. I'm sure it's a big increase on what reach we're getting via Google on the open market, and so it's you know potentially a, a good opportunity. So I think they're the first. They're the first canary in the mine. I actually got a phone call today telling me that uh, half a dozen Australian publishers are all about to announce deals as well. So I think in the background, Amazon's been out around the traps. They can they can smell blood in the water here too. This is an opportunity for them to take market share. There's a reason why Amazon really needs to grow its ad business is because the online shopping business is very expensive. So it has a very, very high cost of selling things online. But the two businesses that Amazon has that are highest yielding, that make the most money for their shareholders, which is what they're in the business of, are advertising and cloud. And they've already extracted about as much market share as they can get from cloud. So their next growth engine is going to be ads and it's going to be biting away at Google. But isn't the history of all this that of publishers kind of getting cozy with the uh, tech companies, um, things going well for a bit, and then the kind of publishers getting screwed over for want of a better term. If you look at, certainly if you look at Facebook, I mean, I can remember Facebook being very friendly with publishers. We got going to really nice dinners with them. They had a head of journalism and they were very much, there were hundreds of, of jobs um, dedicated to creating content on Facebook, which they switched off uh, sort of overnight last year and hundreds of people were sacked. So, you know, isn't this, cycle going to repeat itself with um, Amazon and Microsoft or is that just is that just something we need to kind of accept and and ride it while, well, ride it while it's sort of while it's good and then look for the next thing no I've got I've got a slightly more optimistic view on that Tom I think the first thing is is that there are a lot of smart people in our industry still and if we make the same mistake again then that's our fault so we've got 25 years of scar tissue here right and I don't know about you but it fucking hurts right so I know uh, that we know enough here to be able to make better decisions, right? And there are enough of us around that have uh, a lot of experience of this stuff that can help and advise. And I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to reset. So the first thing is, um, look, we have to find a way to coexist in a sustainable manner with these people because they have all the money. So we're going to have to work with them eventually at some point, right? So... This AI is an opportunity to reset. It's an opportunity for us to set down what we need. They now need us as well. It's the perfect environment for a sustainable model that works for both parties. 
the way that we as the publishing industry benefit from this is that we need to we need to not be subservient to them. They need stuff that we do that they can. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that we align what we do with what they need and what uh, we need from what they have, which is basically money. And we need to find a way that our businesses grow in line with their businesses, which is entirely achievable in this window. But to your point, Don, the reason that Facebook fell out with publishing is that it didn't need publishing anymore. It had taken all the money and all the traffic it needed. Um, it didn't need publishing anymore. So that window for them was over. Their interest in us was over. They wanted to go and fight with you know, TikTok and get into shorts. Fine. But that means that there's a window for publishing to do the right deal right now. And if Microsoft and Amazon are both interested in doing deals, in licensing and in advertising, then those deals need to be done fairly quickly but they need to be done with a view that any deal that we do grows over time. It doesn't just extinguish or end. And so smart people need to be in the room on those deals, good lawyers. And as regards Gen AI, obviously the big concern is that, you know, I know you've looked at um, Google SGE, Search Generative Experience, and we can see looking at that in the beta testing it's a kind of it offers a sort of dystopian future where you ask the computer you know what's going on in the world today and the computer summarizes what's going on in the world today having read the news uh, so that sort of you don't need to <laughs> so so it cut, so so publishers are cut out of the value chain completely but but you can see a future where Generative AI is is regulated in such a way that publishers are, are what rewarded for their input into that, and maybe are also uh, cited and get the sort of the traffic as well. Is that is that right? Well, let's let's ask the question in a slightly different way, and then I'll respond. Do you think Google's going to do it anyway? <laughs> right, <laughs> they're going to do it right. So it's not like um, us being unhappy about it is going to stop it. Now, if the New York Times wins its copyright case in the States, that could put the brakes on it, right? But Google hasn't got a history of stopping doing things that work for it. It just does it. So I think we have to expect, we have to plan for what happens, um, assuming that they do. So you then say, all right, well, is Google search really going to be where everybody finds stuff in the future? So the interesting thing about Bing you mentioned earlier on, you'd never use it. Bing's picked up three points of market share in search in the last quarter. So it's up to 6%. Still a tiny number against Google's 90, but, uh, well, they'd be 87 now. But, you know, they've taken three points away in a quarter. That's significant. It's taken them, like, 10 years to get to three, right? And it's taken them three months to get to six. So maybe the future of discovering content on the web isn't going to be search like you think it used to be. So if we as an industry can find a way to build a collaborative relationship that's sustainable with a company like Microsoft or with Amazon, then maybe in the future when content is discovered through search, whatever search becomes, maybe it's a spoken query, maybe it's a prompt, maybe it's a, a, a co-pilot tool that sits in the top of your Excel document. But however our content is found in that new future, okay, we should be paid for that. Um, and the Google model is an approach to not pay us for that. So therefore, surely the best thing for us to do is to support 
the ones that are willing to pay for that. Um, and that's the, that's the new rivals, the people taking share in search. Well, look, thanks for all that, Ricky. So, I mean, go, go back to, for you, to where it all began. 30-some years ago, Bath Chronicle, 10,000 copies a day, newsroom of 50. Today, it's a weekly title uh, run by Reach, uh, latest circulation figure, just under 3,000 copies a week. So um, I would imagine, and hopefully someone will correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably two or three journalists now covering that city, you know, if we're lucky. So that watchdog role has been sort of denuded almost to the point of invisibility uh, in large bits of the UK. Um, And that's, you know, that is as a direct result of that ad revenue, which used to um, support all that journalism, all those thousands of journalists, is now in the hands of, um, you know, Google, Facebook, and probably to a a growing extent, Amazon and, and, and Microsoft. So, I mean, do you have any sort of, um, and I suppose I'm hoping you're going to be optimistic here, but do you have any sort of sense of optimism that um, in this sort of reset that's going on now or this recalibration of of things, we might end up with a world where there's a bit more sort of journalism going on, a bit more watchdog journalism, hopefully, uh, where reporting is, is again, a bit more profitable? I absolutely do. And I find myself a lone voice on this a lot of the time. There is enough money out there to sustain our industry and for our industry to be three, four, five times as big as it is. Our mistake has been to build our products to fit the shapes that tech companies have told us they have to be. We've been subservient to them. AI changes that. The AIs need us now as much as we need them. So the balance of power has shifted. Okay. The challenge for us as a media industry, and I know you talk to the media stream, we were, you know, I've been a reader and a, and a fan of Press Gazette my entire career, right? I find every job in Press Gazette. So I have great passion for what you do, right? But the problem that I've got is that the management of the industry has got so used to losing, I think we're addicted to it. And I will go and show publishers how to have the ability to win, and I'll open the door for them to go and do a deal, but they're too afraid to do it. So we have to remember who we are and what we mean. We need to dust ourselves off, get off the floor, point ourselves north and go for it. We need to regain our confidence. And the opportunity is right now. And those of, those of us that have the momentum, those of us that have the belief, those of us that have the experience and have the confidence, okay, can stare down and do a deal. But if you genuinely think that you've already lost, okay, then you won't. But that's your fault. It's not the industry's fault. It's not the market's fault. It's not big tech's fault. It's your fault. So you have to find in yourself that strength to go and get that deal done because it's there right in front of you, right? I was with a publisher in the States. I went to see them. Their office had gone from 250 journos to six or seven. Um, I did the uh, I did the meeting with the editor. The editor looked so utterly defeated. At the end of it, I just said to him, are you just done? Have you just had enough? Do you just want to give up? And he kind of sighed and shuffled. And when I left, as I was uh, going my taxi back to my, uh, back to my hotel in New York, um, his publisher rang me and said, did I want to buy the paper for a dollar because I was the only person that had shown an interest in it for a decade? That can't happen. You can't win from that position. You have to believe. 
okay? And our industry has to survive for all the reasons you've just described, Don, right? I haven't given up, right? There are enough of us around that haven't given up, right? Let's find a way to win. Let's just stop expecting to lose. Love it. I believe, Ricky. I believe. So look, thanks for that. Thanks for coming on the podcast. If uh, people want a bit more of Ricky Sutton, your future media substack is well worth a read. It's paid for, isn't it? But you also give a certain amount away for free. It's Most of the posts are free, um, but they go behind the paywall uh, after a fortnight. Um, and so quite a lot of what I'm writing about is predicting trends. Quite a lot of those uh, you know, then tend to happen. So it's, it's a freemium model. You can certainly come in and get a sense and get the learnings from, from subscribing for the free service. And how's that working out? A bit of beer money or a bit, or a bit more than beer money from it? I'm trying to buy a car. That's my ambition. I'm trying to buy a car with it by the end of the year. So uh, it, it will be in car buying territory by Q3 this year. All right. Like a new car or a second-hand car? A, a, well, actually, uh, a, a, a late 60s, early 70s VW Combi is what I'm intending to buy. Oh, okay. I, can, I reckon that's going to set you back a few quid. It's going to wipe out my subscription revenue, but that's okay. Newsletters are, have been really enlightening, really interesting model. Listen, we could talk about that a lot, but let's let's leave it there. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, Ricky. Good to talk to you. Cheers, Dan. My pleasure, man. Take it easy. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dom, and thank you, Ricky, for talking to us. So it was really nice to hear some optimism at the end there at a time where you know at least 8,000 journalism jobs were lost last year in UK, US, Canada and we're kind of up to probably around a thousand already this year mostly in the US so um, Dom how did you feel after that conversation? Well you know Charlotte as always Press Gazette we're always fired up about news and publishing aren't we he makes a good point which I've heard others say and others of a similar vintage to him say that um, the sort of the news industry has sort of got so used to losing that it's forgotten how to win. And I think um, may- maybe that's true. And, may- and maybe um, a bit of a mindset change is what's needed because at the end of the day, all these platforms are quite dull places to be without professional content. And the internet itself would be a really mad less interesting place to spend time without, you know, verified journalistic content. And I think, um, maybe, you know, in the age of AI, in the age of technology, it's so easy to, like, replicate um, almost anything. But, you know, it's really hard to replicate sort of genuine human journalism, is it? And it's really hard to replicate that sort of endeavour. So I think he's right. Um, in the sense that what we all do is incredibly valuable. We need to just try not to forget the value of that, but try and assert it a bit more strongly, especially when publishers are um, negotiating with these these tech platforms. Love it. Yes, we are winners. We will do this. That's the that should be the mantra. Exactly. As I said, on, as I said on Twitter about Press Gazette recently, we're simply the best. Thank you so much again, Dom, Editor-in-Chief, from me, UK Editor Charlotte Tobit, and thank you to Ricky Sutton, our guest for this week. We've been produced by Suze Cooper. 
please like subscribe review keep people in our industry finding our podcast and of course go to pressgazette.co.uk for lots more on this theme see you in a couple of weeks Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.